it going, everyone? This is Everything's Relative, a podcast that explores DNA testing uh, in the modern world and how it's affecting people for better or for worse. Um, this is episode nine. I am your host, Eve Sturgis. And if you've been listening at all, you know that I'm sort of on maternity leave right now. We did have our baby. She's beautiful and healthy. Uh, and we are super happy and super tired. But I wanted to just jump on real quick um, to talk about episode nine specifically um, because uh, two reasons. One is I, this episode, I'm um, interviewing a wonderful woman named Krista. And I drove down to Orange County to meet her. And it was the first time that I did an interview outside my house. And I was a little bit nervous. And it was also extremely early in the morning when I left to get to her on time. So all of that to say that I totally messed up the sound recording. So we've done what we can, but it's not ideal. (laughs) I know I always have like one excuse or another about sound or my breathing. Uh, But this time... Uh, It was just, it was a a microphone problem that I created. So the sound is not great, but uh, I want, so I considered like ditching the episode altogether and, or going back down to Orange County to interview Krista, but I really wanted it on. And that's why I'm jumping in here um, because she talks about some really important things, uh, namely that Krista is the CEO of a mental health counseling facility in Orange County. California, the town of Orange in the county of Orange County in the state of California. Um, and they provide group counseling for NPEs. So I said that as I found out about these resources, that I would be sure to mention them. So this episode is really here because um, I want to focus on the resources available in Orange County for those people. Um, so the counseling center is called Mariposa. That is M as in Mary, A R I. P-O-S-A. That is the Spanish word for butterfly, I believe. Um, They're called Mariposa, and you can look them up at mariposacenter.org. And also, I'll throw up their information on our social media pages. So make sure that you are staying in the loop with all the uh, stuff we've got by following us on Instagram and Facebook. Both are called Everything's Relative Podcast are the groups there. Um, so we're going to get this going. So forgive the sound and, uh, hope everybody's summer school is starting around now and, um, summer's kind of wrapping up. So I hope that that went well for everybody and I'll be back in real time. Um, one of these days, couple, a uh, couple, let's see, I've got two more episodes lined up. So, um, things will catch up by September. Um, and I'll, uh, I look forward to it and I hope you enjoy this episode and, here we go. Episode nine. Thanks so much. Bye. So I was actually adopted. So I grew up with the mystery of my biological parents. Uh-huh. I was adopted just before my fourth birthday. So when I was 20, I met my biological mother. Okay. And, so was it a closed adoption until then? Um, kind of. Don't we just start at the beginning? I'm just going to keep asking. I'll just, just keep asking curious. questions. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, my birth mother was 15 when she had me and homeless, living in a van. And um, she was arrested when I was just months old. And I went to juvenile hall. I mean, oh God, 
Let me start. She over. went to. You can cut this, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, so my birth mother but was. I love the idea of you being in juvenile hall. So if you I know. want to keep that part. as an infant, <laughs> as an that infant? would be kind of fun. Um, infant okay, so my birth mother was 15 when she had me and homeless. She was on drugs and just couldn't take care of a baby. Mm -hmm. And she went to juvenile hall and I went to foster care. So I spent the first four years of my life in foster care. In California? In San Diego. Okay. And it wasn't a big mystery to me. I knew that I was adopted. I knew that uh, I didn't know my biological family. So I had years to marinate in that and, and wrap my head around the mystery of it. Were you an only child? No. And my adopted family, they had two biological children and then multiple foster kids. So I was surrounded by you know kids and uh, growing up. My biological mother did have another daughter three years after I was born, and that sister was in and out of foster care, but she always managed to get my sister back. And you knew about that while you were I did not up? know. Okay. I did not know. <clears throat> okay, so fast forward. You're 20 years old. You get to meet. Well, let me, let me back up for a oh, second and no, tell you, you know how in uh, elementary, junior high, they give you those assignments to do your family trees. Uh-huh. And so because I didn't have real information to put in there, I just made stuff up. Like oh, my parents cool. were missionaries in China, like outrageous stories. But that was how I handled not knowing. And uh, so when I was 20, I was in grad school, and they gave us that assignment to do your family trees. And I decided to really try to find the information. And so I located uh, a biological aunt and made arrangements to go down and meet with her. And, and how did you find her? Um, oh, I had found her through a biological... Uh, when I was 13, I decided to find my biological family from watching an Oprah Winfrey show on adoptees and happy reunions and mm -hmm. wanted that myself. So I didn't tell anybody I was doing this. I just went and did my own research and found my biological great-grandparents. And they told my parents at the time, my adopted parents, not to have anything to do with my biological mother. She had problems, don't let her meet her, and so I didn't. This will not be an Oprah episode. No, no. So when I was 20, I reached out to them and they put me in touch with this biological aunt that was gonna help me fill in the family tree. And it sounds great, but she decided on that day it was a good idea for me to meet the rest of the family. So, mm -hmm. you know, I walked in thinking- She also had a fantasy. Right, I walked in thinking I was gonna meet this aunt and be able to fill in these gaps. And she had her mother there, her brothers, and she arranged for my biological mother to also be there. Okay. And so that was, you know, a shock and unexpected and, uh, you know, a lot of emotions that I really wasn't prepared to deal with. I wasn't mature enough, really, to handle that. Right. That night, my biological mother told me that Michael was my biological father. And so I set out to find Michael, and I did. I met him, his family. He gave me all the medical information, like, you know, think and this guy's my dad. He was he in San Diego. Was also still there. Right. Still in the area. And so for 26 years, I thought that Michael was my father. And when this ancestry... Did you have a relationship with him? No, not really. I mean, there was, you know, Christmas cards exchanged and things. Um, I really wasn't looking for a relationship. I mostly wanted medical information. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you go to the doctor and they say, does this run in your family? I don't know. Right. Don't know. So when the ancestry DNA test, you know, came into my, my, my life, mm -hmm. I really was just doing it for the heritage and for uh, medical information, which you don't get from Ancestry, you get more from 23andMe. But 
So I was not expecting, wasn't expecting anything other than 50% Italian and you know everything that would go with Michael being my biological father. Oh. And he wasn't. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, surprise. Right. Uh, so when I got the results, I didn't recognize the names. You know, Ancestry will match you to people that make their profile public. And I didn't recognize any of the names that were coming up as a match for me. How many were there? Uh, several. There was, um, you know, Ancestry doesn't commit to titles. They may say close family right. or first cousin, but it's, it's, an, um, it's an estimate. So it came up a first cousin, really ended up being an aunt. But I didn't. I didn't know any of these names. I looked at the family trees. I didn't know who these people were, and so none I, of them were Michael. None of them were Michael. None of them were Italian. So I knew something was off. something was amiss. And your mother's side of the family hadn't done it at all. Were they coming up on there? At they all? were coming up some on there. Yeah. Less. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so when I got the results, I uh, I I messaged them right from Ancestry, and it was kind of this moment of what do I say? Hey, um, somebody in your family knocked up my mother. Like, right? You want to talk? I know. I know. It's so. <laughs> you want to yeah. get together? So. And how many years? I'm sorry. Twenty six years after you'd met Michael. Right. So twenty six years, this Italian Michael was your biological dad. Right. And now he's clearly not. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so I messaged straight from Ancestry, and just said, you know, I just got my results. Looks like we're related. I'd love to talk to you some more. Just a very simple message, not knowing seems to be best. who's on the other side of it and what is the circumstances in their life. I didn't want to blow up anybody's family, you know, or whatever. So a very simple message, and uh, they responded a couple days later. And the the aunt is her brother. That's my biological father, and his name is Thomas. Oh, okay. Yes. So Thomas is not Michael. Thomas is my yes. Not Michael, definitely not Michael, and he's that uh, Scandinavian and you know British and not Italian. So, uh, which was really disappointing because I love Italian food. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm laughing, but I know that for a lot of people, <laughs> identifying with their heritage is so important, and to discover that they're not from the land they thought they were is really, really. Upsetting. It can be traumatizing for people. Upsetting, traumatizing. And I think when we look at human nature and human psychology, we are pack animals. We are. Uh, we have a, an intrinsic need to be connected to a group and identify with a group or family. So yeah, when that absolutely. doesn't happen, it, it sets your whole world. You know, it 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 just confuses and the whole. You know, I don't know what I'm trying you to say. You look Italian. I Do would, I? I would have gone with it. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm clearly not, but anyway, so um, I, I text messaged my biological mother, and we had had a, you know, we weren't really close, but we communicated, and I texted her and said, hey, who's this Thomas guy? Because apparently he's my biological father, and she never answered. Oh, She okay. would not tell me anything. In fact, she never responded to my text. Ever again. Ever. And then a few months later, the sister, my half-sister with the, my biological mother, you know, texted and said she was ill and they thought she was going to die, but this had been happening, like, you know, she's going to the hospital, she's going to die, and after so many times of that, I stopped rushing down there when they said that, and this time she really did die. Wow. And she took that secret to the grave, and I have no 
understanding so from your her. mother died. Dies a few months after taking, I find out. Taking the Thomas information with her. Yes. Okay. So that was in, um, um, let's see, I found out in June, and she died in January. That's fast. It's very fast. Yeah, and never told me. And have you been able to connect with Thomas? Um, no, let's see. So um, I met the aunt. She flew out from the East Coast. Oh. I met her. That's really nice, nice of wonderful her. lady. Uh, I met with an uncle that lives less than a mile from my house, has lived there for 30 years, has How mutual weird. friends with my parents, like six degrees of separation. Mm -hmm. This man lives so close, and he's my uncle. And I was able to meet him and his wife. And uh, funny at the, the lunch, I said, just, just, off the cuff, like, hey, any relation to Dick Cheney? He's like, well, as a matter of fact, we are. <laughs> I was like, dang it. <laughs> like, couldn't have been anybody else right. besides Dick I mean, Cheney, right. but, um, but they're just really great people. They're very accepting and open and uh, welcoming. I couldn't have asked for a better experience. Even with everything being positive and being, uh, you know, good, I still had emotions that came up that I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. And it really, um, it, it made me wobbly in my life for a while. And I'm pretty centered. I'm pretty stable in my life. But it, it was an unexpected emotions. And I think that happens. I hear it from so, so many, many people. people. I think right. it, happened to me. it happens to me. And I still, I still am surprised. Yeah. But because intellectually or something, if you ask me any day of the week, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. It's all very interesting, but I'm fine. And then something will trigger. It could me be and anything. It could be a song. It could be mm -hmm. uh, just anything. So for me, there was a lot of <clears throat> I wouldn't say negative emotions, but just difficult just or challenging emotions. Up. And some of those were like um, when I met my sister for the first time. So I have siblings with Thomas. There's there's three of us that we know about. There's two more that are kind of out there somewhere. But when I met this sister for the first time, it was really great and wonderful. And then I had this feeling of, oh my gosh, we were, we were robbed. Right. Like I could, I could have had a you lifetime had a with this, this girl. Sister, and yeah. she's funny and smart and artistic. And you know, I'll never have those those first breakups or their first, you know, prom or their wedding or the birth of her first child. Like those experiences that we could have had as sisters, we'll never have. And it was this grief. She she's in San Diego. Okay. And, um, you know, it's nice and wonderful to have her in my life now, but it's kind of like, oh, we could have grown up together, mm -hmm. you know. So, and there's this helpless feeling that the adults in my world and your world as well made choices that affected us and we didn't even have knowledge of it or a say in it. It's really difficult to, to navigate that in current relationships with their families. Right. And how is your um, your adopted family? How have those parents been about this whole? Thing? Um, they're my parents are really great. So when I say parents, it's my adopted mom. I have a stepdad, and then my adopted dad and his his wife. So they've been great in accepting and accommodating, and I'm sure it's challenging for them in their own ways. But this isn't our first round with this. So right. I met my biological right. mother at 18. So right. now we get to go through it again on the other side. But so uh, the Thomas has denied paternity. Oh, okay. He's denying that he uh, fathered me, which actually is okay with me. Mm -hmm. I don't need a relationship with him. 
I really mostly wanted uh, medical information or things like that. So. And you were able to get that. Yes. Yeah. So um, that's my experience. It's wow. Okay. So so, Thomas remains a mystery man, and have you have you maintained a connection with um, Michael? No, the I probably should look back to him and let him know. <laughs> the hey, accidental father. P.S. You're not my dad. I mean, I should probably loop back to him. We haven't spoken in many years, but um, I'm, I don't know what his life has been like, but right. I should probably let him know, hey, you're off the hook. <laughs> you're sure, not, sure. You're not my dad. Um, wow, okay. So I always ask if, if people feel like, if you feel like there's an age that you would have, preferred to know and you have a different kind of story so right. I'm not sure how that fits well, in but you did, yes. go, you did run with this Michael idea for all that time for all that time um I, for me I always had knowledge that I didn't know so a little bit different than somebody just yeah. finding out yeah. but research has shown and studies have shown that the earlier the conversation happens with a child the better the trajectory of uh, assimilating that information into their life and, and and really developing a solid identity around that information. So the earlier a child's told that they were donor conceived or that they were adopted, really, um, hey, speaking of, this is my sister texting me. Oh, how funny. Yeah, that's funny. I'm sure not said it. But anyway, so research shows that the earlier the conversation happens, the, the more solid that child is growing up. So... I would I would say as soon as they can understand that the conversation should at least begin with them. And you always knew you were adopted. I always knew so I was that adopted, was yeah. That wasn't part of the surprise, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I I think of I mean it's a discussion often on the on the, the online support group as I right. want to tell my children um and my 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 oldest knows and couldn't care less. And part of that is being a teenager. She just is like, what does it have to do with me? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, she knows about me. I don't know if there, if I would have understood it as a teenager. I don't know. It's it's I a hard question. Feel, yeah, no, I don't. know. I think at any age, it's, it could, it could be more difficult when you're older, and you already have a set understanding of your life, right? And then have to to change that up. You know, is it age appropriate to tell a 13-year-old that their father is a different man? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've lived with this secret. Yeah. And understanding that secrets do make us sick. Right. You know, Absolutely. so, and they're really, why do we keep that secret from a child? Usually it stems from shame or mm -hmm. guilt so or something that's a negative thing. And if we can change the dialogue around this, and not make it such a shameful thing, you know. The women, yeah. our mothers, and you know, they made choices in a time that maybe that was the only choice they could make, or who knows why, mm -hmm. or what societal pressures were on them to do what they did. So you can kind of understand. Oh, absolutely. Right. So I, yeah, it's no, nice I, in two, 2019 to have the hindsight or look back and say, well, they they did this, but it was a terrible thing. But really, would we have done the same thing? We don't know. Yeah, fifteen years old making those decisions, right? And then, and then having to remember later. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, it's a lot. It's totally a lot. So tell me about the book that you want to write, the ebook. Uh, so the the book that I'm working on now is about this whole DNA 
it's more of a self-help kind of what to expect book. Yeah, great. I have my story in there, so it, it it gives the the platform of me as an NPE and understanding just personally how that is. Also, my clinical experience and some research around um, this this new phenomenon that's emerging, and uh, overall the the bleak. Mm, outlook or whatever you want to say there's there's no data there's no empirical research that's been done so really drawing attention to that and um, that's great we need that so bad more for somebody like when you take a DNA test what do you what do you look for you look for the centum organs well, what does that mean so I explain that in the book what a centum organ is and how the higher the number the closer the probability of your matches so kind of the nuts and bolts of navigating this Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we need that. Do you have a title? Uh, well, you never know what your title's going to end up being because it goes through your publisher and things. But tentatively is Who's Your Daddy, which mm -hmm. it, it sounds so elemental, but really we're dealing with basics of life. Right. No, I mean, that. I think like everything... Everything like that's around this subject, the "Who's Your Daddy" joke comes up, right? Who's your like, it, and it just comes back around. To well, it. and I think it lends some uh, humor to this whole process. And right. if we can some have levity. humor, it might it might make the journey just a little bit softer for us. And so uh, that's the title that I've landed on. But okay, cool. Keep me updated. You never know. So that we can let everybody know when it's available and what it's finally called. Yep. Very cool. Awesome. And. What is the advice you would give somebody who has just discovered, just gotten a surprise result from the email? Any, any, I mean, well, mail-in tests or any, any kind of information that has surprised them. I, I think, and 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 I'd be, I really want to hear your story as well. But um, there are a lot of emotions that come up, and so just like people that are going into recovery, you know, starting AA or whatever, they say don't make any life decisions in the first year of your life. I would say the same thing to somebody who just found out their father's not really their father. Don't make any life-changing decisions. Like, you know, don't sell your house and move or anything big. <laughs> you just kind of let, just sit with the emotions, maybe lean into it a little bit. When I say lean into it, it means understand that these emotions are normal and you're going to get to the other side of them and just feel them for a minute. But don't make any life-changing decisions because sometimes that's what we do, right? To distract Absolutely. from this, I'm going to go... I don't know, sell my car and get a motorcycle, like something impulsive and, you know, some would say irresponsible. Yeah, quit their, quit their jobs or right. start new relationships or end relationships. All sorts of things happen. I think that's great it, advice. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I didn't do anything major. I, I call my midlife crisis and I have them, you know, periodically. It's, I'll go buy a, a used motorhome or something or you know, tear up carpet in my house or something that I think is productive, but um, this Paint this the living room. you know it, it has the potential to really disrupt somebody's life, and just Absolutely. that knowledge alone will disrupt it. So, yeah. Cool, great, so straightforward. Um, I love it. Thank you so much. What else? I'll just go ahead. No, but let's see. What else? Is there anything else? Um, I can tell you. Uh, just are you in the secret Facebook group? Uh huh. Yeah. So the secret Facebook group, uh, you know, I first joined, there was about 3,500 members, and uh, now it's like 7,000. Yeah, and it's 
and growing and like growing. every day. They post and you know, I read I read some uh, articles because there's there's very little information out there about MPEs or this whole phenomenon. But one estimate I read said one in 25 people are taking DNA tests, and that 10% of the population are getting surprise results. Yeah. That's a lot of people that are getting this shock. Either they're finding out their father had an affair and has the other kids out there, whatever the variation of the story is. Uh, but there's not really anything in the mental health community supporting this, specializing in this. And I, in my research for my book, I couldn't find anything, even a, um, a psychological theory on personality or yeah, development that, that about addresses attachment theory. this. Like lean into attachment theory or find the, the therapists that are good at adoption. Adoption. So the but adoption was the closest thing I could yes. find, but there are still some nuances that are unique to MPEs. You know, the grief is a different kind of grief than losing somebody. The, the trauma of it is different than the trauma that we know and we study today, but um, there really wasn't anything I found. I did find a theory that comes out of uh, the UK that fits and you oh, know, my really? perspective. It's called identity process theory and uh, Breakwell is the originator of that. And of course it's, it pulls from Bandura and different psychologists, but it really the premise is that your identity is attached to the groups that you're attached to, so external and internal. So as we go through life and new information comes in, we accommodate that new information to keep our identities whole. And when something comes in that's so big that just knocks us sideways, that rug out from under you. it's your identity. So really what I think MPE's experience is an identity crisis. It's not just a, I found out this information and, and oh, isn't that interesting? It really calls into question our entire identity. And people that aren't MPEs don't understand that. Right. They'll say, oh, let it's it go. Really or, what does it matter? What really does it change? Right. And Empathy. But yeah. people sitting in glass houses shouldn't throw stones because they're probably the people that went to the doctors and said, oh, yeah, breast cancer runs in my family, mm -hmm. had mm -hmm. that information. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, French. And they had that information. For somebody who, who finds out that they, they don't have that information or what they thought was, was it? It's a... It, 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 um, could traumatize their identity. Is that the word I'm looking for? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know what you're saying, and I don't know if we even have the words yet. I don't think so. It. It's like it's I traumatizing, think... it's unsettling, it's discombobulating. Right, and it, yeah, it's beautiful and wonderful. It be it's and all it these great, exciting. Adventures and... It's almost like being bipolar with your emotions when you find out you're an MPE because you have you know, maybe anger towards your biological mother or your family, or you find out that, hey, yeah, mom, sister, and best friend all knew that this was my circumstance, but nobody told me. So the betrayal. Yeah. There's, there's so much betrayal, yeah. And then how do you actually have a relationship with them with this new information? And wanting to understand, or for, you know, and wanting to understand people's choices as just people and humans, but being affected by it. As a child or, right. or a relative of these people can be really conflicting. Right, and extending grace to them, but also somewhat holding them accountable. So it's, it is, it's an interesting path, and um, I think more people are going to find themselves on it. Yeah, no, I and, think you're you know, right. I think when people were donating, you know, 
donors years ago or egg donors or sperm donors or whatever, they never anticipated that in 30 years no. there'd be a DNA test no. that would reveal their oh. Oh identities. No. So, you know, and now with so many people taking the test, it's not a matter of if their secrets come out, it's a matter of when. Of when, but I think people need to understand so that when more we, and more. Yeah, you are doing, know you know, your, your work around um, this and the podcast and getting the word out there and, and bringing awareness to this, the more we can shape the national dialogue around this, and even global, I mean. You are singing my song, Krista. That's right? That's exactly what I'm trying to do. And the UK like seems to, to be, yeah, the UK, UK seems to be a little bit ahead of us. So in 2005, they made anonymous donor, uh, sperm donors illegal. So they, they can no longer be anonymous okay. in England and oh, in the UK. So if we could just catch up to that, and what I, what I hope by saying shape the national conversation and global conversation is so that we don't go to the polar opposite end of that and people stop donating or people stop adopting or putting their children up for adoption. I didn't even think of that. Because, yeah, because of the negative whatever surrounding being an MPE. What I would rather is that there's just a clear understanding and the sting is taken out of it mm -hmm. so that people mm -hmm. can make informed decisions and the, the children can have knowledge and information as they develop. Yeah, absolutely. What? Yeah, what? Yeah, I keep. I keep trying to explain it um, to some people who who don't think this is a very good. This podcast is a very good idea. And um, like, if I could just offer some kind of relief to the people feeling shame, more, more than anything, it's like this happens. Right. This well, happens, and in, in specific circumstances are different for every person. Yeah. But if we could. Yeah, if we could make it some kind of, if there was an opportunity for conversation around it. Right. And right I now think, there's not. I think your podcast sort of is, a, is, a, is a vacuum. I think your podcast is an excellent idea, not just for people discovering their NPEs, but also people on the other side of that. Yeah. People who are maybe just friends or family members or professionals in the community, or in mental health community, that are working with these individuals. So um, for me... Uh, I think the more awareness is, is brought to this and the more the conversation shows both the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. You know, well, and I also would love to get people to come talk to me who are from different perspectives yeah. of it. Like, I would love to get some mothers who made the decision 30, years, 30 40 years ago yeah. to keep it a secret um, yeah. and what their thinking was. I, um, I would love to get some of them to come talk or... Or a sperm donor who has this like surprise phone call that's like, wait, I did this thing for fifty bucks, yeah, fifty years ago, and now this person wants a relationship, and I feel fill in the blank. Um, yeah, I would love to get all sorts of perspectives about it because I just think we all need to talk about all of it. I, I agree. Yeah, great. I had a thought, and now I. So, um, you, we're sitting. We're actually sitting, and maybe you can pick this up, listeners. But Krista works in the mental health community. Um, and so, and we're actually sitting in a in a mental health clinic facility, um, rooms rooms with counselors here. And um, have you had anybody come through? Yes. So, uh, what happened when I had my own experience and realizing there wasn't a place to really go and get specific specialized services or, or counseling around this, I started looking at our own agency. So I, I am the CEO of a nonprofit counseling center in Orange County. And we work with trauma and grief and uh, anything on the mental health 
spectrum substance abuse. Uh, we serve about 3,000 people a year through our, our programs. That's a lot. But there wasn't anything that I was finding. So I talked to the leadership team here about opening a group for MPEs and just seeing, you know, what, how it worked or what, what the interest was. And we opened in February and our, our groups are full and we get calls. So cool. We get calls and people that are in the groups that are now wanting individual work. And so there's definitely a need. We are starting a virtual platform in the next month or so to be able to offer services across California, across the United States for people really specializing in this uh, area. The Orange County Register did a piece on me, on my story, and the groups that were starting at Mariposa. And so from that article, there's been a lot of interest. And we've actually had people coming in that are MPEs. We've also had people on the other side of that that are siblings. Uh, they share a biological father, but uh, they're on the other side. They're not the MPE. Mm -hmm. But they're in groups together, and it's been really beautiful because they're able to help each other have empathy for the other's story. So it, it blends it, and, and it's just ended up being a really good group. This is so cool because Krista didn't tell me any of this before I showed up. So I just came. I'm doing a whole bunch of interviews today. Um, so this is a whole side that I... I'm so excited to talk about and so excited to connect with somebody who's also trying to broaden the conversation and actually be of service in that community. This is so cool. I'm yeah. so excited right now. Yeah, we <laughs> did the first uh, four weeks. We scholarshiped everyone. So we were able just to kind of pilot it and see what the interest was. And the interest was so wide that um, we ended up opening up more groups. So. Um, here we are. We have a group here in Orange and also San Juan Capistrano, and we are looking to do, we'll probably pilot with, Cal, you know, brought into California and then across the United States. And my interest isn't just in providing the services for MPEs. Uh, it's also to provide training for counselors who may, you know, come in contact with. So much on that Facebook support group that we are both a part of, people post about disappointing experiences with therapists. Right which is heartbreaking. It is, and you know, but the, the psychology world in the United States hasn't caught up to that yet, so it will. They'll get there. It will, and so Mariposa is really emerging as that thought leader and, um, and provider, and so hopefully we can get more people just trained on what it is. Yeah, and so um, are you comfortable saying the name of the program or a number they should call or, a, or an email? So or? our number here is 714-547-6494, and you can also look us up on our website, so it's mariposacenter.org. Okay, great, and I will put that, um, I'll put all that information uh, on the website or on the blog. I'll, I'll make sure that that's available, and if anybody doesn't catch it, um, either re-listen to the episode <laughs> or um, send me an email, eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com, and I'll make sure that you get connected to the right people. Yeah. Yeah, so great. Thank you so much. Yeah. So um, Anything else you want to tell me about the way you're changing the world? <laughs> Taking on the world. Um, interesting. No, uh, I did approach a university and ask if they would be interested in doing a study on this because there really isn't or hasn't been a study so conducted yet. I'm so impressed. Um, you know, they haven't, they didn't bite, but they will. I think the more there's chatter in the media and the more there's chatter in, um, in print material, uh, perhaps they. The, there'll be funding 
available for a university to do a study on this. So I think that's important for us to be able to really direct um, even treatment for individuals, but really a broader understanding of the impact of this. We haven't seen it yet. You know, yeah, you're starting no, to see, hey. Totally, I'm so glad you used the word phenomenon. Right. They, when I, when I remember when I took my DNA everywhere. test and I was spitting into the little vial, I had the conscious thought like, oh my God, please don't let me be related to a serial killer. Like that was one of my biggest concerns is that I would be, and like shortly after I did my test, they caught the Golden State Killer right. through DNA, through DNA testing. testing. Yeah. They caught a serial rapist through DNA testing. So forensics are going to be able to use this as well. So it's going to have good implications, but it could also you know, have somewhat negative implications for individuals and their families. So, yeah, uh, no, the fallout, I mean, we are, yeah, I think you're right. We're just at the tip of the iceberg of just yeah. watching this whole thing shake out. And technology has advanced us, meaning we, we, haven't, we haven't really prepared adequately for the advancement in technology around this. We'll catch up, but right now we're just reeling from the, uh, how expedited these things are. When I say I had years to marinate in the idea of not knowing, People that get that surprise DNA test may have minutes to realize that their life was a lie or, right. or whatever, right? Minutes. So they're experiencing this compact, life-altering, uh, you know, information quickly. And we're in an age where everything has to be immediate, you know. But this might be an instance where maybe time is your, is your ally. You know, uh, when so I... So many people in the group, uh, I'm sorry I keep talking about the group, um, but, but that's my biggest pool of understanding of what's going on. So many people are like, hey, I just found out last week, Yeah. and these are the things I've done, or, and yeah, if, if there could be some kind of um, message to, to just pause with this stuff and take the time, take some time to process it. Right. And, not, uh, even and ma not even before making big decisions, but right. even the small decisions. <laughs> it's true, and... Um, I think the Facebook group is really good for people to go and, and know they're not alone, know that what they're experiencing is widely felt by others, and uh, it's, a, it's a great place to connect with other MPEs. It is not a replacement for mental health services. No. I have seen people on there that are relapsing, that are suicidal, that are having really adverse reactions to this, and there's not so glad you brought that the, up. the level of support. And they have a, a disclaimer on the Facebook page that it's not, a, it's not to replace mental health services and if you need help to, you know, how to get that. So, um, but I think it's an excellent place for people to, to make that first connection. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I think that they just, um, they came along at the, the, the few people that, um, that started the group, like, came along at the right time. But there are tons of support groups, probably, out there if you look. And this is not the only one. And they are not, I, I don't know, everybody needs different things. So I don't want to say that they're the best one or that they are the authority on this subject. They just happen to be um, a group that's got some PR. Yeah, I think uh, Catherine St. Clair was one of the mm -hmm. co-founders of that Facebook yeah, group. Really got, and they've got a ball rolling, um, for sure. You know, she's got her own personal story with it. So um, the, the impetus of it was her own uh, discovery and um, she's done a phenomenal job at bringing people together in a community together and there have been offshoots of that. Uh, I haven't seen many other online support groups for this, just that 
the one yeah, that Catherine. Yeah, they're certainly, certainly. And they've started subgroups, so they've like started big, groups for people that are single and finding out, or people that are, uh, you know, just a male, you know, just men only, and so over sixty-five. They've started subgroups and young, you of the that. millennial group or whatever the whatever's younger than yeah millennials, Gen Z so group. So they're yeah. they're onto something. They're trendsetters in a way of of this, and with everything being uh, online now, it's it's a perfect opportunity. For people to connect, so um. for sure, yeah. I just, I yes, everything you just said is true. Mm -hmm. I just, um, I also want to make clear to people: they don't have to be a part of this group, um, right? Or it's not the only way. Or going on there is not. It's it's one representation of this experience, um, but it is not the only one. Right, and then as we get more professionals that are trained in this, there may be. Um, in-person support groups or other avenues for people. I have seen in there people that are in remote parts of the country that don't have access to. So and so an online version is indicated for them, uh, you know, or you live in a small town and maybe they don't want people to know because of the shame and the guilt and, you know, there's, there's other options for them. People that, the people that find out all this stuff and then it turns out they're still they're friends with all the people, like in the small towns, or it was their next door neighbor growing up, or yeah, I mean, yeah. layers and layers of possibilities. Of, oh my of gosh, complicated. And if anything, this yeah. should kind of raise the um, the need for maybe like getting DNA tested before you get married. <laughs> no, right, or, right. They're, yeah, yeah no, before you're dating that, somebody, maybe like, we should do a swab and just, just make sure like we're not like cousins. Look, everybody just spit, and then <laughs> especially in a small town where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the the pool is limited. I've seen people or heard people say, "Oh my God, I just found out my ex husband's my brother." Like I saw that. This one. stuff happens, <laughs> so you know. Yeah. And and for me, as an adopted person, that was always in my my mind because you never know if this person's really related to you. It could be a brother. It could be. You know, so I've lived in that, and I'm um, going back to my search as a as an adopted individual, searching for my biological family. This was in the day before the internet. Yeah, I know. You know it was like when card catalog like and microfish. That's exactly what you know I was what I mean. Imagining. Yeah, it was days and months and weeks writing letters that are mailed off. So there was time in between to wrap my head around it and mm -hmm. and process that. Where if you send a DNA test off. It's like a matter of weeks before you get the results back. And we're in May, so they, they estimate they sold 1.2 million kits over the holidays. Those results should be rolling in about now. So right. there's going to be thousands of people that right. are going so 1. to... 1.2 million, what's 10% of that? 120,000, 120, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That took me a minute. Clearly, yeah. clearly I mean, I'm a therapist, not a mathematician. I had to ask you. <laughs> right. So... A lot of people, and yeah. it, I would say it is a phenomenon that we um, were not expecting, but it's here. So it's now, here. how are we going to deal with it? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, thank you, and I'm so thankful for people like you who are really trying to do something about it. I think the more it we share our story and the more we normalize it, as abnormal as it is, um, the easier it's going to be for those that come behind us and find out. Mm -hmm. That's great. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and turn this off. Okay, good. Now you have to tell me your story. Yeah, I'll tell you my story. 
Hey, so one more time, I just want to thank Krista and the work she's doing at Mariposa in Orange, California to help NPEs uh, get through this kind of experience. Um, again, uh, org is how to find the information there, and I'll put it up on our social media sites. Um, and as Krista, she talked about writing a book to be helpful to people, and I will make that information available as soon as uh, she gives it to me. Um, so, yeah, so we'll see you in two weeks, episode 10. Um, it's a good one. It's a doozy. But uh, in the meantime, I just want to make a really quick request. If you have been enjoying episodes one through nine of Everything's Relative podcast, I would sure appreciate it if you would go onto your streaming platform. That is the website from which you download your episodes. Um, and give me a review. Go ahead and give the, give the, uh, the podcast a review. Um, if you can write something up, that would be amazing. If you can give us uh, five stars, that would be incredible. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed so that you're getting these uh, episodes straight to your listening device uh, every two weeks. Um, and anyway, those are the kind of ways that uh, I can uh, g- gather the resources to make more more of these episodes. Um, so, yeah, so that would be so great. Thank you so much. Uh yeah, that's it, guys. That's it. That's that's it for this week. Um, see you in two weeks. And this is everything's relative. And what else do I usually say? I don't know. Okay, this is Eve Sturgis. <laughs> Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve Sturgis is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, but the conversations she has on the podcast are not therapy sessions. Logo design by Ivy McNally and music used with permission by Goodbye the Band. <laughs>